If you've been around uh, the street for um, any length of time, you know probably three or four times a year Bruce Reed uh, comes and teaches, and uh, every time he does, it's just such a delight. And uh, Bruce is obviously connected here at the street and involved uh, in in the teaching ministry and leadership. So, Bruce, thank you for coming again, and uh, let me pray for you as we open the God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for all you're going to say to us now. Lord, we, we quieten our hearts and we say, speak, Lord. We're ready. We're listening. Uh, Father, would you uh, give Bruce the strength and the leadership and the, uh, Lord, just the, the touch of your spirit to lead him as he opens your word. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Nick. <clears throat> now, I'm not in the habit of uh, checking out other people's bank accounts. But this individual may well be the wealthiest person I've ever met. I was attending a mini-conference in um, about an hour outside Dallas, Texas, and you know there's nothing bigger than Texas. And we turned up at the front gates and we turned into the gate and uh, the gate, after the gate the driveway swept around past the two-story mansion and then through an exit gate. But we took a right-hand turn uh, and parked in front of the ample parking outside of the entertainment centre. And in the entertainment centre, when we went in, there was a half-court basketball court. And then to the right, there was a music uh, lab. And in there, I could see musical equipment, uh, keyboards, a drum kit, various guitars. And I noticed the word Fender on that. The next room was the computer lab. And it was all set up, decked out with all of the latest equipment. The room that I really liked was out the back. And that was the small games room. It had shuffle park and whatever that thing, um, air hockey and um, table soccer and table tennis and big pool table and the darts and all that kind of thing. Then there was a bathroom segment. And then behind the basketball court this way was a fully-fledged cafe area, kitchen, seating for 50 or 60 people where we held our little conference. Then out beyond that, through the big glass doors, was a spa pool overflowing into a swimming pool that was about 12 or 15 metres long by 7 or 8 wide, 12 feet deep diving board. And out behind that, through the glass doors, was a great big deck overlooking the ranch. Apparently, the person who owned all this, the family was into airports, owning airports. That would be airport with an S on the end. And, uh, but... I met the individual who was a single lady. What really got me was the backstory. See, she had been a missionary in Iran in the 70s and 80s, and uh, in 79, Ayatollah Khomeini came to power in Iran. And at that time, he was trying to uh, get rid of all other religions, turn it into an Islamic state. And to do so, it was a bloody revolution and all kinds of chaos went on in that country. And other religions were being expelled. And if you were a Christian, you had a cross on your door, and that means you could um, do whatever you liked to that person in there, and they didn't have any rights in the nation anymore. And so it became difficult as anti-American as well. And she was an American woman Christian, and it became very difficult to remain there. But one day she was walking down the road, and she passed a pile of rubbish, and she heard some cries coming out of the rubbish. 
She dug into the rubbish and found twin boys who'd been cast out there because if you have twins, one's of the devil, and which would you know was which? And so they were both cast into the rubbish to die. She took them home. She nurtured them. She escaped the country and the ranch and everything in it was for her boys. I want to talk this morning about, and I've given the message this topic, you're rich. When you became a Christian, you became rich. Now, I don't mean in financial sense. You could check my bank account out. You would find when you became a Christian, (laughs) that was a pause with not much in it. When you became a Christian, you became incredibly wealthy in the spiritual realms. And for the last three weeks, we've been looking at First, First Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians chapter one, verses one through fourteen. Three weeks on fourteen verses, and there's a constant through those fourteen verses. It's in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Him, in Him, in Him, and it's telling you what is happening when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Not in this world, not much may be changed. But in the heavenly realms, what went on for you? And you became wealthy. Let's just recap some of Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. First of all, he chose you. He chose us to be holy and blameless. Now, you might not feel holy and blameless, and that's why we depend on on in Christ. In Christ, we are declared to be holy and blameless. That's not naturally us. That's what Christ has done for us when he died for our sins, took it away, and in the sight of God, holy and blameless. He adopted us. He predestined us to be adopted as his children. So not only does he forgive our sins, but he takes us home with him to share in his riches. And not only that, Jesus redeemed us. Now, a few weeks ago, Sarah talked about that old-fashioned word, redeemed. It's the slave market word of being purchased at a price and taken. And so you have been redeemed. The purchase price of your sin has been paid, set free from your sin. He revealed his plan of eternity to us, and this is it, that Jesus Christ will rule everything. He will all creation, everything and every person, the angels, the fallen angels, they will all come under his dominion and he's led us into the secret. But the beauty of the secret is you are the first fruits. You are the first of those that he will rule over. Yeah? But the time is coming when he'll rule over the, the lot. He chose us for his glory. He parades our salvation in the heavens. Look what I've done. Through Jesus, this one belongs to me, and this one belongs to me, and this one belongs to me, and this one belongs to me. And heaven declares and praises God because of you. Yeah? And finally, he seals us with his Holy Spirit in the here and now as a guarantee of forever. Yeah? So that's what he's done. Feeling rich already? Yeah? Well, he goes on from here, and in verses 15 through 23, he's going to talk about some more riches, because Paul wants the Ephesian Christians not to just have this head knowledge of something that's happened in the out there stuff, yeah, 
and the beyond here, but he wants them to have a sense in the here and now of what it means of being rich in Christ. And we're going to look at these verses together. You ready? Yeah. Let's read some stuff together. Let's read verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I'm going to stop, pause there. That's the essence of true faith. Yeah? That's the essence of saving faith right there. It's got two components. One, faith. And second, express through love. And when Paul wrote to the Galatian church, he said it this way, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. When you have faith in God, it's not, I believe there's God. I believe there's God who created the world. I believe in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for the sins of people. No, no, that's not saving faith. Saving faith is, I believe God created me for relationship with him. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe when I accepted into my life, he took my sin away, took away the barrier that stopped me having a relationship with God. And I believe God, uh, uh, I'm in relationship with God today. And I believe that he's given me his Holy Spirit as the guarantee of all of that. I believe for myself. That's saving faith. And as we have that saving faith that allows God to rule in our lives, he changes us slowly but slowly towards his character. And an essential element of his character is we love other people. And let me just define God's love. It's made up of two things. One, choice. Two, action. Choice, God chose to love you. He chose to save you. He chose to bring you to himself. Yeah? And he followed through in sending his son Jesus to make it all possible by dying for your sin and bringing him to you to himself. Yeah? Choice that follows through an action. So when you love now, because that's what God's character is doing in you, he's pushing you to love others, you can choose to love other people, not because they're giving you the strokes and, and, and being kind to you. You love them because you choose to love them. They might be a horrible boss. They might be a terrible neighbor, but you choose to love them, and you declare that by actions so that it's not love when you say, I've loved. It's love when they feel the love, yeah, when they get it, Right? So make sure your love has been felt by the other person. These Christians here in Ephesus, they had the true goods. Faith in God and what he had done for them and love that was being expressed out of their relationship with God towards other people and particularly other Christians. And so verse 16, Paul gives thanks for their genuine faith and he prays for them. And in verse 17, the first part of 18, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. So Paul's praying here that the Holy Spirit might lead them to wisdom and revelation that they might begin to see life as God views it. Now, we live in a very material world, 
and it's easy to view this world just in material sense. And that's increasingly uh, likely, if you're like me, quite left-hand dominant, you know, left, uh, left brain about the size of an orange, in my case maybe a mandarin, including the wrinkles. Right side more like a garden pea, not very able to kind of sense other than what I see and we can calculate and being the scientific type, you know. And so I need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I need God at work in my life to reveal the things of God so I can see life as God sees it. So Paul was praying this because he realized without the Holy Spirit opening the people's minds, they'd never get it. And because this is not just a prayer for the Ephesians, this is a prayer that has a universal feel to it, I'm going to ask Nick to come and pray for us. Nick, I want you to pray for us this morning that we might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. God might kind of crack open these hardened minds of ours, these earthbound minds to be able to see into the heavenly realms, to understand life as God views it. Yeah? Can you pray for us? Awesome. Why don't we stand to our feet? If that, if what Bruce has just said, if that resonates with you and we're, we're just about to dive into this message and you say, I, I want to know that, would you just get yourself into a posture of, of receiving the few that might be just raising your hands or putting them out in front or whatever it is just to say, Lord, this is what I want. Father, I pray that you would give us a spirit of Wisdom and revelation. Mm. I pray, Father, you'd help us to see the way you see things. I pray you'd free us from our our earthbound minds and you'd bless us in this time with something so significant that we would see as you see. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you reveal the preciousness of yourself to us? Would you right now give Bruce everything he needs? to minister deeply through your word. Father, we look to you. We receive from you. Mm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Thank you, Nick. Please be seated. So Paul's praying. Lord, give them wisdom and revelation. The first reason is so that we might know God better. That we might know him better. God calls us into a deeper relationship with him. The word know here is epignosis. Gnosis is knowledge. Epi is uh, on steroids. No, actually it's that we might have a knowledge that comes from deep relationship. So God give us spiritual understanding so that we might have a knowledge of God that comes from a deeper relationship with you, with him. How do we do that? Well, we've got an advantage over the Ephesian Christians. We can read. Many of the Ephesians possibly couldn't read. We've got not just the Old Testament. They possibly had some of the Old Testament. Maybe they had some of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John was still to come. They received this letter from Paul. They understood that to be a message from God to them. Maybe they had some of the other letters that were circulating around the book of Colossians, maybe. But you and I, we can read. 
We have the Bible in its entirety. We have printing presses that make it available to every one of us at a reasonable charge. They didn't have those advantages. You can come to know God in a deeper way as you understand and read the Bible. I heard a speaker during the week talk about every Christian should be a Bible student. We should be studying the Bible. Not just studying it, but meditating on it. And as we meditate on the Word of God, we're thinking it through. We're thinking how it would apply to our lives. And this preacher said, you know, some Christians say, I can't meditate. And so she said, can you worry? Because when you worry, you're meditating just on the wrong stuff. So how about take a word of the, the, the verse of the Bible and meditate on it. Think it through. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about myself? What does this tell me that I should be doing for God or changing about myself or an attitude? Meditate on the word of God. Grow, take responsibility for knowing God in a deeper way. And as you do that, as you expose yourself to Christian fellowship, of praying to God, of exposing yourself to the Word of God, God will do a work in your life and you'll know Him in a deeper way. Maybe some verses that we're looking at today could be your focus for this coming week, yeah? As you rethink the message of today. Verse 18. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his great power for us who believe. Here are the three things we should know, and this is a different word than the other one, oida. And in this way, it's not a depth of knowledge that comes from depth of relationship. It's complete knowledge. Come to a complete knowledge. And there's three riches in here that Paul wants them to grasp, to truly know, and for us to truly know as well. And I'm going to reorder the, uh, the verses a little bit and put it into an acrostic because that makes it easier for me to remember. We're going to be talking about CPR. I remember roaring over to the um, emergency department one day and taking a student with me on their first day and taking them into the room where, you know, the greatest casualties are likely to come and it was empty so I was showing her around the room opened the curtain on the next uh, room and whoops here's a doctor up on top of the patient applying some pressure to their chest CPR in this case though we want to be talking about CPR bringing life to your soul we're going to be talking about C and P and R that'll help you remember right Let's talk about C. It's to do with your calling. Your future is life in heaven. We need spiritual insight so that you might know the hope to which God has called us. We've been called past tense to a hope future tense. And in the meantime, we're living in anticipation. Now, a couple of months ago, Bryce Williams was up here speaking and he was talking about the Christian hope. And he mentioned he went two directions. First one, he was talking about other religions. And let me just talk about religions. Religions are man's effort to get to God. Stuff you can do to try and be good enough for God. And let me just, I don't want to insult you this morning, 
But if you can think you can be good enough for God, you've got too small a God. Yeah? If you think you can be good enough for God, your God is real small. But our God, the God of the Bible who created the universe, is holy and perfect. And you and I can never attain to that status. Yeah? But God has called us into relationship with himself and he's done that, made it possible through Jesus Christ, called to an eternal hope. Bryce shared three facts upon which our hope is based. First one is that Jesus rose from the dead. And over 500 people saw him alive. And those closest to him were willing to die for their experience of having seen him. Because they knew if a dead man who's crucified for your sin now is risen again, that this man is pretty special. He must be the Messiah. He must be the Savior. And they were willing to die for their faith. First, he rose. Second, he lives. Jesus Christ is not some dead rabbi, guru. He is the living God. And finally, Jesus is coming. And that's a consistent message throughout the Bible that Jesus is returning again for his own people. So we are called to a hope that should change our thinking and change the way we live. I want to point to the example of Jesus in this and go to John chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. And there it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And then the two-letter word, so... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus became the servant, yeah? And he said, you're going to follow suit. You too are going to be servants of others. That's going to be your role in life, be a servant. But here it tells us the, uh, where that came from. And it came from the fact that Jesus knew that everything was under his authority. Yeah? He knew that he had come from heaven, that he was God, the creator of the universe, and that he had come to earth for the specific purpose of being a servant and of dying for our sin. That God the Father would raise him up, put him in the right hand of God, and give him authority over all things. He knew all that. Now, when you know all that, and you have that level of greatness, right? You don't need to prove anything. You don't have to go around saying, you know, watch me. I'm good. I'm great. Give me the important place. Give me the status. Make me a king. He didn't need to do that. He could take the form of a humble servant, and that was okay with him because, because he didn't have an ego that needed stroking. He didn't have a, a sense of inferiority that needed to be, you know, that put him under other people. He had a greatness that allowed him to serve. How about for you and I? Well, we didn't come from heaven. We came from earth, and we were sinners on earth outside of relationship with God. But God has done a deal in our life. He's forgiven our sin and brought us into relationship with him because of his mercy and grace. And everything of value we have has come from God. Yeah? And not only that, he's taking us to heaven. And in the meantime, we didn't have to prove ourselves. Yeah? God has already done that. 
he's declared some things about you that are pretty special. Yeah? And you're of great value to him. And it allows you to come in as a servant to other people. I believe that we can grasp our hope, our calling, that we belong in heaven, that that's where we're heading. It makes a world of difference to how we can live now. Yeah? You don't have to struggle to be something or, or gain something because you've, you've gained so much in Christ. You're rich in him. That's C. Next one's P, power. God has given us his incomparably great power to live by. Verse 19. It says there, his he's given us his incomparably great power to us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority. And you can read the rest. The power that God has given to us is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, raise Jesus into eternity that gave Jesus authority over all things. That's the power he gives us to live by. Now I'm intrigued by this. And this is a verse I've probably spent the last 25 years thinking about. What does it mean to have the power of God? I mean, I've studied with, uh, you know, these Korean guys. They would get up at 5 a.m. every morning, 4 a.m. every morning, and pray for two or three hours before they did anything else. Did they know more power of God than I did? Their youth group programs were prayer meetings. Did they know more power? Now I've got a bit of a warped kind of way of thinking. You know how the Bible talks about uh, if you've got enough faith, you can command this mountain to be thrown into the sea? Now I can see this as a business opportunity for some of you, you know, there are town planners and, and uh, the property developers, that you could take the Rimatakas and say, God, be in the harbour. And so we could have straight roads through that mountain area, and we could have new housing in the lower uh, Wairarapa, and those land develop, those um, property developers would take the flat land in the harbour and produce new harbour-side villas, you know. But actually... I'm a mountain kind of guy. So while you're chucking mountains into the sea, I'm going, God, let's get this mountain back up here where God, you intended them to breathe. My point is this. You wouldn't trust me with all the power of God, right? And I certainly wouldn't trust you. Me? <laughs> eh? I like my mountains. The power of God fits best in the will of God. Yeah? The power of God fits best in the will of God. When you come to a verse of the Bible that you don't understand, what do you do? The best thing to do is try and understand the words that are in the verse, right? Next thing you do is you ferret around the verse. You go a little bit wider. What do the verses around tell me about this idea? And if there's not too much there, you go to the chapters around it, and then you go to the whole book, and then you go to the books that that same author wrote because there'll probably be a similar theme in the use of the word. And then you go to the other authors uh, in the New Testament, and then you go to the whole of the Bible, and by the time you've done that, you may have some idea what it's talking about. 
And we're very blessed in the book of Ephesians that he tells us something else about the power of God and how it works in our lives. So in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, when it's talking about put on the whole armor of God so you may defeat the schemes of the devil, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So in that instance, the power that God gives us is to be used to overcome Satan and to be free from sin as a Christian. Yeah? He also uses the word power in Ephesians chapter 3 in his second prayer to the Ephesians. And there he says in Ephesians three sixteen to 19, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. And so here it's talking about the the power of God enables you to know him more fully, and to enable you to grasp the extent of God's love for you so that he might rule fully in your life. So when we go back to chapter 1 and we try to define what is this great incomparable power that God has given us, it's not so much that I might put back the mountains that you just got rid of and I might display the power of God and I'm not opposed to... uh, miracles at all but rather here the power is that we might have power the help of God the might of God to overcome the sin in our lives through Jesus Christ so that we might have a pure relationship with God understanding the extent of his love for us is that helpful yeah that's the kind of power God wants us to know to experience in fullness, to overcome sin, to understand how much God loves us and allow him to, him to fully tank up our lives. Yeah? Now that's true power. Yeah? That's the kind of power we need. C-P-R, riches. I pray, verse 18, also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, many people think that this is talking about you and I becoming rich because we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, that we inherit, we become heirs of the riches of God. But I agree with those who think differently. I believe what it's talking about here is, and it's an incredible thought, it's talking about the riches of God in us, that somehow we are part of God's riches. That somehow he gains something from having me in his family. That somehow he considers my relationship with him so amazing, it's part of what he calls, it's part of his wealth. I sort of searched my mind around the Bible to try and discover why that could be possible. And this is what I came up with. One, God loves us. 
Remember, his love was a choice thing, yeah? It wasn't based on my worth. But God focuses his love on us. He says, I love you. No matter what you do about that, I love you. Well, that gives us value in his sight, right? We're precious to him. But secondly, our value to God is tied up in the relationship that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that God the Father was willing to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, to become a servant, to die on the cross because of his love for you. In other words, he was willing to, to dismantle the Trinity in his desire to love you. This morning, we want you to understand how much God loves you. I was at work and there was a student kid, young girl, who um, wasn't fitting in very well and wasn't doing a great job because nobody really wanted to work with her much. But anyway, kept on expressing every conversation ended up about her and so forth. And I recognized what was going on in her life. See, as teenagers, there's two things you're trying to achieve. There's two questions you want answered. You know, you may have been okay in your family, but as a teenager, you want to know, am I okay in the world? Yeah? Am I okay? And where do I fit? So I said to this young girl, um, I want to have a dad talk with you. Um, Because I see some things in your life, you know that maybe you didn't have a dad who said they loved you. And dad's girls have to have a dad who tells them they're beautiful and that they're loved. That's part of your job description as a dad. And it's not easy for us to do that. And so I said, you you are a beautiful girl. And you are a special person. And you don't need to seek to know that from everybody, yeah? You don't have to seek approval from people all the time. You know, so taking over all the conversations and that, that's just a a cry for help. It's you trying to say, am I okay here? You are okay. You are very special. And maybe somebody, nobody's ever said this to you, but you're beautiful, you're intelligent, You're capable. You're special. Can we go on in in life on that basis? Are you willing to go on in life on that basis? To change the whole way that you do life? This morning I want to tell you that when you came to faith in Jesus, you became part of the riches of God. And you are very special to him. You are in his brag book. You are on his fridge. He is toward you. He is casting his grace upon you. Yeah? And so the riches we're talking about here that you can take as as yours is that you are part of God's riches. You are very precious to him. And we want you to go out from here this morning understanding that your calling is in heaven. That's where you're headed. We understand that God has given you power to overcome sin, to appreciate his love, to walk with him and allow him to rule your life. And we want you to go out here a little bit 
taller. Because God loves you. Yeah? He loves you dearly. He great, takes great delight in you. He is parading your salvation in all of eternity. He's saying to the angels who are rejoicing with him, I saved you. I claimed you. This one is mine. And to the fallen angels and Satan, he's declaring, these ones, these ones, these ones, these are the forerunners of what all creation will one day be doing when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. Yeah? And so you can go out of here in that light. But maybe this morning you've been listening to this and you say, well, I don't have any of that. I haven't yet become a follower of Jesus. This can be yours too because his love extends to you. This morning we're going to pray a prayer. Maybe the most important prayer you'll ever pray. It's one where you say, God, I need you. (laughs) I'm a sinner. In other words, I've been in rebellion to you. I've been leaving you. I've been rejecting you. But today, I want to accept you. I accept what Jesus Christ has done was for me. I want to come into relationship with you, remove the barrier between us. I want to be your child. I want you to rule my life. I want you to take control from this moment on. I want to know what that guy is talking about is for me. Yeah? If that's you, pray along with me. Let's pray. If you've yet to come to faith in Jesus, pray along with me. Maybe a prayer like this. Dear Father, thank you for your great love for me. Forgive me for my rejection of you. I want to know you. I want to know forgiveness from my sin. I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my savior from sin and my ruler in life. I want you to be my leader, my guide. I want to live for you and please you. Come, God. Come and dwell in my life. Let us have a relationship together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.